Well, good morning. Happy Mother's Day. We're so glad that you chose to join us to worship our Father in heaven and celebrate and honor our moms. If you're new here today, maybe you're a guest, maybe you're a mom that was invited by a child or you're a child and your mom got you here today, we have a gift for you at the Welcome Center just right on the other side of those doors behind you in the foyer and there will be an elder, Jake Carroll, be there after service and we'd love to give you that gift. It'll be a great opportunity for you to even spend more time as a family or as a friend or maybe if you're here alone today, we have a gift for you. We want you to know we care about you and we're glad you're here. If you're here, do us a favor as well. Fill out a, a Connect card. They'll be in the pews or in uh, the wings on a table around you. And that's just a way for us to get to know you. Let us know how we can uh, contact you and be praying for you. It's such a privilege that you're here to worship with us today. Mom's on your way out. Uh, please pick up a rose. You may have seen them on the way in. Maybe you got one. But we want all moms to have a rose. And just as we honor you on Mother's Day and look forward to uh, just the blessings of life that came for, from you and through you. Happy Mother's Day. We just have so many great moms around our uh, church family, in our own families. I want to celebrate one special today. Uh, Debbie Blankenship is a mother, a grandmother within our church family. Uh, so many gifts. And she has recently authored a book and it was published. It is called Gone. And as I have been reading it, I have been challenged uh, to keep my eyes focused on Jesus as these ages and the world draws to an end. And Debbie, if, if you're here today, are you here? She's up here in the back. Let's just celebrate Debbie and that effort. How many of you have a copy of the book already? There's a number of you that do. I would encourage you to get one. You can find it on Amazon, uh, give a review. I pray that she is just blessed by this book and that she'd be able to write uh, more and more and that people would be drawn to focus on Jesus when things get weird. Uh, that's what I learned from the book. Things get really weird in this book quick and man, we gotta be looking to Jesus. Great job, Debbie. Hey, for years we have partnered with the Bond County Pregnancy Center. On Mother's Day. And that's where the kind of the roses uh, stem from, literally. Uh, they, they have been today purchased uh, by the leadership. Uh, so we're not asking for any donation, just take one. Here's what we're asking, though to pray for the pregnancy center. Uh, we value life, and, and the life that, uh, that we value and protect as much as any life is the life of the unborn. And so more than just praying for them, I would, I would ask you to get involved in, in a family, in, in a young lady's life, maybe who's an expected mother, maybe she's single and she's got a lot of uh, choices and a lot of obstacles in this world. She needs your help. And if we say we value life and we're going to pray for it, let's come alongside of her. Uh, let's come alongside of uh, her as that young uh, child grows up. Also, I ask you to come alongside foster care parents as they have chosen often to, to relieve the stress of uh, a situation that, that didn't find any other way out, but life was, was uh, chosen and they need help. Or maybe come alongside an adoptive family who has who recently adopted or is planning to adopt or maybe adopted years ago, because as we value life, those are three big ways, more than just prayer, more than just making a donation, we need to get involved in the life that we value, amen? Because life matters, every life matters. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for our moms. Father, I thank you for my mom. Thank you for my mother-in-law. Father, I thank you for uh, my family. Uh, most of all, I thank you uh, that Jesus died for us all and that we can be brothers and sisters in your family forever. Help us today to see that that, that salvation comes through what Jesus has done and no pride, no uh, self-righteousness can be found in us 
but let us be humble and become more and more like Jesus. In his precious name we pray, amen. Hey, we're going to continue to honor moms more than just today. Uh, Mother's Day is a beautiful day, but guys, I want to challenge, especially you young fathers, to come alongside your moms that you live with, your wives every day. Uh, That opening video was a humorous video of things that moms don't say, you know, like uh, pull out the phones right before you have Mother's Day dinner. Put the phones away today, okay? Uh, Mothers just don't say certain things, but I have been a father for almost 20 years, have been a pastor of families for more than 20 years, and there are things mothers do say. And and sometimes they're just as comical. Now, not saying that my uh, mother that I live with, Tiffany, my wife, says these things. I am not going on record about that, but these are things I've heard mothers say. For example... These are things that mothers might say to to show us they're ready for help. For example, young fathers, if you hear um, your wife saying things like this to a friend, I don't want to sleep like a baby, I just want to sleep like my husband, she may be ready for some help, okay? It may be time for you to step up. Or if you hear her say something like this, silence isn't golden, it's just suspicious. She may be about ready to to need some help real soon, okay? Or if you hear her telling the uh, toddlers in your house time and time again, stop following me in the bathroom, okay? Maybe you should relieve her of some pressure. Or if, you go, if she goes around the house and you hear her saying this, is this chocolate at a few different places where she goes? She may need some help, okay? Or this one, it could get really intense. I brought you into this world and I can take you out. If you hear her saying that, it's probably past time for her to receive some help. But moms, we know it's intense raising a family, raising your husband. Um, it, is, it is very important that you know we love you and, and we want to come alongside you all the time. Hey, last week we got into God's word and the words of Jesus through a parable. And we also listened to this story of a uh, World War II uh, rescue mission uh, of two medics. And I pray it challenged you if you were here to grow, to grow out, uh, to get into to the, the lives of people around you and, and join in the rescue mission, uh, the greatest uh, rescue mission in the history of the world has ever seen through Jesus. We believe that Jesus has commissioned us to rescue the world with him through what he's done on the cross. We just get to be co-workers with him. Jesus calls us to grow. That's why the elders and the staff, and we get to share with you our vision now that we're going to grow. We're going to grow out We're going to grow deep, and we're going to grow young. We believe we're going to grow out by witnessing with the gospel. That's often understood as evangelism. We're going to share our faith. We're we're going to grow deep by being devoted to the word, that when our feelings and the facts of the word of God come into conflict, we're devoted that the word is going to win in our lives. And man, that really makes you grow deep. It grows you beyond your, your, your own nature. And we're also going to grow young walking with one. This last one is maybe the hardest to understand. We see evangelism in the first one, discipleship in the second one. So what's this idea of growing young, walking with one? Mothers do it so well. A mother has this natural ability often that she has to commit to that she is often bringing alongside with her her children that are younger in the faith, younger in development, and as they grow together, they're growing young. What's interesting, we can't leave this out. Well, everyone should be walking with someone younger with them in the faith, whether it's their children or uh, a brother or sister in Christ they know that's uh, less mature, that, that doesn't, haven't had their faith developed. We also always need to be growing young with someone older than us. 
That's why Paul says in scripture to Timothy, hey, make sure your older, mature women are training up younger wives and younger moms. Guys, it's scriptural. This grow young thing is all about bringing those behind us, but also grabbing onto someone more mature than us in the faith, and we grow young together because we, we continue to grow in Christ. So let me ask you right now, a reminder, are you growing with someone that's younger than you and also someone that's older than you in the faith? But God has called us to grow, never forget that. A great preacher has said multiple times from this place right here, uh, maybe hundreds of times, he, he said this, and I quote, the church is not a hotel for saints, it's a hospital for sinners. Anybody ever heard someone say that from this stage? Daryl Bolin. This church is not to be a hotel for saints where we come in here and sit on our nice clean pews and be comfortable with grandma and mom and feel good about everything that we're going to do today. Uh, it's not just for that. While that's a great thing to do here, this place is primarily a place where sinners who are hurting and bleeding can come here and feel loved and protected. Amen? It's both. This is a great rally point for us to be strengthened by people that have, are ahead of us in the faith. Daryl Bolin, uh, pastors of the past, your mom and grandmother. But this is also a place to bring alongside of us people that are dying without Jesus and show them God's love and the hope that changes everything. It's a place for sinners to come to be saved through Jesus. It's a place for the church to go out as us, as brothers and sisters, uh, to love on the lost, to show them Jesus right where we live, not only in this building, but everywhere we contact them. We're called to grow out, and it means we must go out. Last week, we saw that story of the two medics who parachuted in the, uh, as a part of the 101st Airborne Division uh, just hours before uh, D-Day began, and, and they parachuted around 3 a.m. into a small uh, community in France where as soon as they hit the ground, a, a battle broke out in, in, in effort to control that little town. And for 36 hours, the German forces, the Axis forces, uh, fought against the Allied forces. And Kenneth Moore and Robert Wright, two 19-year-old medics with about three weeks of training, decided they're going to do everything they can to save lives. One of them found a farm cart and they began to, to run around the edge of the community and find soldiers, both uh, American soldiers and German soldiers, and bring them back to this church where they began to treat the wounded from the war. And for 36 hours, they treated over 80 people, American, Nazis, civilians. It didn't matter who they were. As long as they needed help, they were willing to serve them. And they laid these people on these pews, and their blood poured out from shrapnel, from, from bullet wounds. And the blood of these hurt people stained the pews of that church. And you can still go there today to see these blood-stained pews. What an amazing testimony of how we must go out from this place to save the hurting and the lost. What a powerful picture of what the church is supposed to be. As much as I love to come here and rally and, and, and be encouraged and grow in the word, we can't stay here. We're called to go out and bring others in that are hurting. That's who we're called to be. That's the vision of hope changing everything. It's a big part of our mission, but it's not easy to go out into the world, into the mess, into the uncomfortable nature, into the things we can't control and make ourselves vulnerable. That's what we're called to do. It's what Jesus asked us to do, to go out to the messy and uncomfortable world to seek and save the lost. Today, I want us to look at what gets in the way of our ability to grow out. 
I find it interesting, in all honesty, uh, first service last week blew you guys out of the water. At the end of the service, whether it was my fault or you, uh, this, uh, you weren't connected with what I was asking, but at first service at 8.30, everyone moved. Everyone uh, switched directions. People were all over the place. And most of us in this service kind of sat still. I don't know if it was poor communication on my part or you weren't ready to move. Uh, in a, in a, a different way, while that's just a, an activity, I wonder what keeps us from literally moving and going out from this place with the love of Jesus. Today, we're going to look into that. What is it about our attitudes, our hearts, or maybe what we don't know that paralyzes us? Last week, we looked at the, one of the parables of Jesus from Luke 15, where he tells the parable of this shepherd who has 100 sheep and 99 are uh, safe, uh, safe and together, and he, he leaves the 99 to go after the one. And Jesus tells the story as if there was not even a, a difficult decision to leave the 99. And he tells that story... In response to some religious leaders who see Jesus having supper with sinners. The religious leaders view Jesus from a distance and they're like, they mutter amongst themselves, they complain, why is he having supper with such sinners? So Jesus tells them that story of the 99, but they don't get it. They don't see it right away. They, they lose sight of what God's doing. They, they want to stay comfortable. Uh, they would rather their pews be clean and unstained. They would rather their, uh, their fellowship to be uh, controlled by, by what they know. And, and she's like, it can't be this way. And yet they don't see it. If we're not careful, we can lose sight of what's most important also as a church. Wanting everything to be comfortable and under control and lose sight of what we're really called to do on this rescue mission. If we're not careful, we, we want to look at our pews instead of the people that need Jesus. We, we so easily lose sight of who we are and what we become, not understanding our own nature, our own attitudes, get in the way sometimes with our pride. I wonder how many times you've lost sight. It happens. It happened to Andres Toma. He was another World War II soldier, not from the United States, but from Hungary. He was drafted into uh, Hungary's uh, war effort against the uh, Nazi forces, and, and he was all ready to go. But very quickly into a service, he was overwhelmed by some Russian soldiers, and he was taken captive in 1945. And he was on his way to a, a POW camp when he became deathly sick, and, and he even lost a little bit of his thinking and he was unable to communicate much and so instead of going into a POW camp uh, the Russians uh, put him into a Russian hospital without clear communication he showed up the Russian hospital and, and the doctors and nurses thought he was a Russian soldier who had lost his mind because when he was speaking his native language they just thought it was gibberish they mistake they mistaken the fact that he was a Hungarian soldier for the fact that he had just gone crazy and so for the next 53 years, he was in a psychiatric hospital under Russian care. Can you imagine this young man who had devoted himself to a great war effort because of miscommunication for 53 years? He was in a hospital, thinking pe people thinking he was crazy. What's, what's even more heart-wrenching, uh, the historical story goes, and it's a true story, you can Google it this week, uh, let's look it up, for 50 years he did not have a conversation with someone. He's like, this guy's just crazy. Until 50 years into his hospitalization, a psychiatrist started realizing something. 
He realized that he's not crazy, he's not deranged, he's Hungarian. He's like, we've got a problem, guys. This guy is not a Russian soldier. We've had him for 50 years thinking he's crazy. He just doesn't know our language. And we've kept him in this room alone thinking uh, that we understood him and we didn't understand him at all. And now he has lost track of who he is. So for three years, this doctor and this soldier began to go through his memories with the translator. They began to have him try to understand who he was and who he is now. And it was during this time the psychiatrist gave him a mirror so he could see himself. And for the first time in 50 years, this young soldier looked at himself. This is the picture of this man. And he was surprised by the wrinkles. He was surprised by how his face has changed. He, he almost didn't recognize himself at all. It was shocking to him what he had become. I mean, let's be honest. Some of you looked in the mirror this morning and you were shocked what happened over the weekend. Prom and everything going on. Stress. Can you imagine what it would be like after 50 years of not seeing yourself? All of a sudden, he's have to evaluate, who am I? What have I become? In all honesty, he was completely shocked. Today, I want you to do the same. I want you to look deep at yourself and slow down. Maybe you haven't done it for 50 years. And be ready to be shocked as we look into the word of God and what Jesus is saying about the dangers of pride and, and what we be, can become as religious people and how it hurts our ability to, to go out, to grow out. I want you to ask yourself this question. As you look at yourself uh, in light of what God's word says and use it as a mirror and look at who you are and what you are, ask yourself this question. Is there anything in the way that I look that means in your attitude. Is there anything in what I've become that hinders you from growing out with the good news of Jesus? That's a big question. Is there anything about how you've developed in recent history, maybe over 50 years, that limits your ability to go out? Is there anything about you that hinders people from seeing Jesus? And if there is, it needs to change. In our main text for today, Jesus is again dealing directly with the religious people. These were the people that should have known better, people that were often at church, often worshiping, often giving to the church, and Jesus like, hey, you're, you're missing the point. You can't even see who you've become. And he asked these religious leaders to, to look at themselves. In Mark chapter, excuse me, Luke chapter 18, we see Luke recording this story, this parable. But right before he gets into the parable, we also see him giving a definition for something very dangerous to be in us, for people to see in us, pride. Look what it says in Luke 18, starting with verse 9. Here's Luke's definition of pride, I think from the Holy Spirit. Luke says, to some who are confident of their own righteousness and look down on everyone else. Isn't that pride? Isn't that what it really is? Jesus told this parable. Uh, Luke is saying to the people that thought they had it all figured out and were ready to compare themselves to everyone else and look down on everyone else, Jesus is speaking to these people, people a lot like you and I, who should have known better, who, who, who were very used to being comfortable and in control. Look what the story was. Jesus tells them this story. He says, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you, I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even this tax collector. He says, I, I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. 
Jesus says, there was this one guy who compared, he said, God, I thank you, I'm not like these people, and look at all these things I do. And then there was this another person, but a tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, he kept his head bowed. And he beat his chest and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Look what she says about these people. I tell you, this man, the one that beat himself, his breast, rather, this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. This story calls out those who, uh, at one point or another, have went through enough of their life, who've done enough good things, start to thinking, God, look at me. I'm better than most other people in the room. In fact, look at all the things I've done. I've got this. And Jesus in the story says, not that person, but the person who comes week after week and says, God, thank you uh, for saving me. I'm a sinner saved by grace. That is the person that is justified. That is the person that is made right. I wonder which one we're more like. Are we humble? God, uh, thank you for the, the grace of Jesus. Thank you for the blood of Jesus that saves me. Or do we begin to be like this? God, I've been here on Mother's Day for the last 50 years. I've got this down. I, I checked it off the box and I'm good at least for another year. God, God you, you know what my family's done. Mom taught Sunday school for all these years. Uh, we faithfully give to the church. I, I think we're okay. Or Father, I thank you that my mom and dad are saved by the blood of Jesus. I thank you that my children are hurrying about Jesus and the good news. I, I wonder which people we become, uh, the prideful or those that are humble that will be exalted. There's two things I want us to ask ourselves with this consideration based on the story from Jesus. Are we the type of people that pride creep in when we compare ourselves to others? That's one of the first things that pride starts to creep in. We see it in this man, this religious leader. Uh, notice he, he compares himself to these rough people, the robbers, the evildoers, the adulterers. But give him a little credit. He at least looks at the tax collector who's at church and says, God, at least I'm not all these. And I'm even better than the tax collector that's here. How quickly we look around and compare ourselves to others. We, we can, if we look hard enough, always look to find someone worse off than us. And for some reason, we want to focus on them and say, God, uh, at least I'm better than them. We may not say it out, out loud, but maybe we think it. These Jewish leaders were, were bad at this, and it, it makes me sick. The common practice of a Jewish leader of the day the highest level leader of religious culture of the day, they would say this prayer on a regular basis. Not what we see here, but this one. Thank God I am not a Gentile, a Jew, excuse me, a Gentile, a woman, or a slave. That's bigotry. That's prejudice. And this was a reoccurring prayer of the most religious of the day. And it should break our heart. I mean, it makes me sick to think of this. God, thank you I'm not a Gentile, woman, or slave. Pause here just for a second. This was the religious culture of this day, and Jesus busted it up, praise God. Jesus is really uh, the, the key leader of our world that, that honored both Jew and Gentile, that honored women and men, that honored slave and free, that honored uh, people, not because of what they had or what they did, but because he loved them enough, like uh, Devin said, to die for us. Praise God for Jesus, amen. Let's give him glory. But still, sometimes we compare. While we know the attitude of looking down on a woman or a person that's of a different race or the person from a different religious background and thinking we're better just because we're better, 
We, we know that's wrong, but, but don't we do it sometimes? We still cast judgment. We still compare instead of turning to the good news and the love of God. In all honesty, I don't want you to say anything. You're probably not even ever going to tell your mom this. But she may have done it also. In your private moments, when no one else is around, when no one else will ever know your thoughts, I wonder who you're still tempted to compare yourself to and say, God, thank you that I'm not those people. Now, I get it. I praise God for a level that I was able to be born in the United States of America and my children have the blessings they do, but that doesn't make me better than that person. That just makes me blessed. It makes me have opportunity. And there's a very dangerous thing to say, God, thank you for my position, but don't put your uh, uh, position in a position that gives you more value than others. I mean, we, we do it even with people right here in our own community. God, uh, sometimes thank you that, that I do not have the same problems that those people have. Instead of just acknowledging we're different and go and trying to meet their needs, sometimes what we do is, God, thank you that I'm not this, this person, and then we move away from them. Next time you have the feeling to be aware that you're thankful that you're not in that situation, why don't you go into that situation to help to meet their need? That's, that's the, the nature of Jesus. He ran after that one that was lost and left all the ones in the safe, comfortable uh, confines of the, the flock behind for a moment. Shame on us if we have even a hint of this type of attitude. We need to stop comparing ourselves to others and start seeing the difference and start caring about them. That's what moms do, don't they? I mean, really, moms do that well. I think we all should. Jesus did it. Another thing that, that we see in the text, pride controls us when our life is constantly a competition to see who's best. Jesus tells a story about this relig religious leader, and after he compares, he says, oh yeah, I know at least the tax collector's there, but God, I uh, fast twice a week and I give a tenth of everything I have. I have done what needs to be done. It may translate in today's culture, uh, I, I take care of my body, I, I work out, everyone else around me is a slob. Uh, I give to church and everybody else takes. I volunteer for charity, other people are lazy. I'm a good neighbor and they don't even have a home. And we have this list of things we do, thinking that the things we do, whatever it may be, saves us. We start to think that we're righteous because of the things we've done. And that's just wrong. We're righteous because of what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross in his resurrection. And when we realize that, that we are saved and made right by God, uh, that puts us all on the same level and it puts us in a lot better position to go out in the world to share the good news because we're no longer judging and saying, come be like us. We're saying, come together because of what Jesus has done for us. And it helps us to go out and be a blessing to others. We need to get rid of any of this pride that makes it think that we have done it ourselves. We've got to allow the Holy Spirit to cleanse us of this prejudice and, and this idea that, that we have it figured out while others are struggling and let's help them. No, let's point them to Jesus who helped us all. So how do we get rid of this pride? I'm almost done already. We can see that pride falls away when we acknowledge our sin and look to be changed by Jesus. I'll look back to the text. The first thing I noticed about the tax collector, that guy that was humbly, had his head bowed, that was kind of beating himself and saying, uh, I'm the sinner here. Uh, notice he doesn't compare himself to anyone else. 
But he trusts in what Jesus has done and what God has done. Like the Pharisee, though, he does recognize there's sin in the room. Uh, the Pharisee recognizes there's a sinner. The Pharisee just points his finger to other people. What this uh, tax collector does, he recognizes a sinner and he is uh, recognizing it in himself. This morning, if, if you recognize sin in the room and you're not first looking at yourself, you need to look in the mirror again. And I know that's hard for a mom to hear because you're sitting by your son or your daughter who you think is perfect. That's a joke, right? It went over better this, uh, the first service when I said the grandma. Uh, you, you know, we, we think our family all the, sometimes has it all put together. But here, if you are really trying to find the sinner in the room, look no further than your own heart that you can be saved by Jesus. And then that allows us to identify people else that are hurting and say, hey, come to know Jesus that saved me from my sin. And he will do it for you as well. See, the, the Pharisee didn't recognize his sin, and yet the tax collector did. Look at the words of Jesus in Luke 18. He says, I tell you that this man, that one sinner who says I'm the sinner, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all who humble themselves will be exalted. Look what Jesus says in, in regard to this. He says they both go home. In fact, unless Jesus returns, I believe, I'm not a prophet here, it's just what happens every Sunday, all of you go home. You just do. In this story, both men went home. It's not a radical concept. You're all going to go home. But you're really going to go home as one or two ways. You're going to go home satisfied. You were at church again on Mother's Day. Uh, uh, the music was uh, good. Um, you saw some friends. And you're going to go home somewhat satisfied. You checked it off the list. Or you can realize you're like this other man and go home day after day after day from a time of church and worship. And you can go home not just satisfied but justified by the blood of Jesus. And that satisfies more than anything Here's how I remember what justified mean, means. Jesus says one of these men went home justified. What justified means, it's not a, a deep theological concept. It's something you can remember. Justified means you, are, you appear before God just as if you never sinned. It's just as if you're, you're a perfect, uh, totally sinless person because of what Jesus has done. But when we go home thinking we've cleaned it up on ourselves, we go home uh, a sinner that needs saved. So this morning, I want to ask you, have you ever received that justification that comes from Jesus? That humbling moment that you said, Father, I need Jesus to save me. And if, if it has become your practice to think that you are the one that saves yourself, you're just going to go home satisfied and really hurting, really lost, really hungry for, for uh, the, the love that comes from God. Uh, th this idea that, that we can become this, this person that realizes our sin can only be met by Jesus is freeing. And it frees us to go out into the world to save others. It kind of reminds me of uh, a couple weeks ago when we talked about the woman in the well. Even Jesus, uh, for a moment, had the look uh, of that he was judging this woman. Because there was a moment when he says, hey, I've got real water for you that will last forever. And she goes, oh, do you think you're better than Jacob? Do you think you're better than all of our ancestors? Who are you? She's talking to Jesus. We need to be very careful as we go out into the world, and Jesus did it perfectly, yet the world is always ready to say, do you think you're better than me? Here's the beauty thing. When we come to someone who's lost and say, I too am a sinner saved by grace, it really opens things up. Rather than this, hey, I've been to church my whole life, and I've got it figured out. Why don't you come to, with me? You think they're going to come? No, we need to put down our guard and say, Jesus saved me, and he gave me a hope that changed everything. I, I am like you. I've been hurt. I've been wounded. 
God's family will help heal you with the love of God. We need to be that humble person that realizes we have been made right, made justified by Jesus. In humility, we can share the gospel better. I've noticed that moms generally, stereotypically, and I know I can get in trouble for this a little bit, but moms have this nature to just care. That's, they have a, almost a, a blessed instinct to, to, to meet needs, especially their family. I've seen it time and time again to meet spiritual needs of their family as well. I'll tell you about a mom by the name of Zola. I don't know if any of you have ever met her. She raised her family in the uh, metropolitan area just on this side of the river of St. Louis for years. Uh, she married a man by the name of Daniel, and, and Daniel wasn't a believer, uh, and she was convinced she would be able to bring Daniel quickly to the Lord because he said he was interested in going to church. But then after a, a few months and a few years went by, Daniel was not interested in Jesus or church at all. Uh, and, and Zola was pretty intense about saying, Daniel, would you come to church with me? This is a picture of Zola. Uh, for like three years, she would say, hey, the kids are going to grow up in church. I want you to be an example for them. And Daniel ignored her. Uh, Zola had a choice. She could either be like, my husband is, is a deadbeat and he's going to hell uh, and, and I'm going to judge him every Sunday and every Mother's Day and, and really put a guilt trip on him. But that's not what she did. You know what she started doing? Praying for him. She changed her attitude and started, instead of casting judgment, Zola for 50 years prayed for her husband to come to know Jesus. And for 50 years, it didn't affect him, at least what she could see. He never went to church, and for those years, she raised her children. This is a picture of her and her, her kids. Uh, Zola and the kids grew up in church. Zola was faithful to Sunday school. Uh, she was a, a faithful uh, tither of the resources that she had, and her kids came to know Jesus. Zola is Marsha Ackerman's mom. Don Ackerman is now Zola's son-in-law. Don is now our lead custodian here at church. Uh, by the way, Gina is now in Florida celebrating Mother's Day down there. Uh, what a blessing. Let's praise God for Gina and Don now for that way. But Don has picked up right where Gina left off, and he's our lead custodian now. And he was telling me the story this week of Zola, and I was amazed. I was like, well, how did it end? For 50 years, Zola prayed for Daniel. And it seemed to not affect her, but he kept, she kept this humble spirit, this servant spirit, this, this spirit of humility uh, uh, in front of he, he, he did, She did her very best to honor him. And I don't know if it's Mother's Day, but I can't help but think it wasn't something like this. Daniel found out that Zola and the adult kids now were going to be at church together. And one Saturday night, Daniel came to Zola and said, do you think it'd be okay maybe if, if I went to church with the family in the morning? What do you think she said? After 50 years of praying for him, she was excited inside. And she could have been tempted to be like, I knew you were going to say yes one time. But no matter if he would say yes or not, she was going to be faithful. And on this day, she was blessed with the presence of her husband. Two years later, he gave his life to Christ. Uh, two or three years later, I'm not sure of the details, but a short time later, after giving his life to Christ, he died and went to heaven. After 50 years of her being faithful, humble servant of God. Let's give glory for men and women like Zola. I know there are other stories among us of faithful, humble servants who keep pointing to Jesus. That's who we're to be. Let's give up the attitude of this religious, pompous attitude where, 
hey, we've got it figured out, come and be with us. No, let's go to be with them and show them Jesus. I wonder which one you are more like. As you looked in the mirror today, what have you seen? You may have first seen, hey, I need to be saved. Would you stand with me now? We're going to sing a song, a song of decision. If you've realized that, that you're a sinner that need to be saved, uh, the, the baptistry water's ready. In fact, I'm going to go right now and get ready for a baptism. During the song, if you want to make a decision like that, uh, please come and talk to D, uh, talk to a friend. But those of you who made that decision even years ago, ask yourself, what, what did you see in the mirror today? Father in heaven, I pray that we would have this humble spirit that would draw people to you. Not be comparing or in a competition, but be pointing people to your son Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.